are continuing our study uh, of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to open up this morning with just starting the reading. It's just, it's just, it's really the only way to start today. Chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Mark connects this event with what just happened, what we talked about last week. And if you remember what we talked about last week, we talked about, you know, Jesus asking them, who do you say that I am? He says, I am. And Peter says, you are the Christ. Folks, we got to answer that question for ourselves. And he says, let me tell you what that means. I've got to suffer and die. And, and, and they just, this is scandalous. This is not what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so Jesus says, that is the road I must go. And if you are going to be my disciples, you also must go down that same road. You also must take up your cross. Deny yourself. You've got to be willing to die in the name of Jesus, if necessary. And we listen to that, and it's like, wow, that's pretty rough. But, but we read this, and we say, yeah, but you keep talking about that, but you forget about the fact he says, you know, and be resurrected on three days. They couldn't even get to that part. They just couldn't understand it. And so that's why Jesus takes them up on this high mountain. And he doesn't take them as much as it is Peter, James, and John. He doesn't even take the 12. And, and there's something happening here, and if you understand, and we really, in here, we try to understand the hyperlinks back to the Old Testament because it keeps us on track. It helps us to know where this is going. And, and I, I left this up over here. This was from Bible class. I'm not going to cover everything I covered in Bible class because there's a lot of things that are happening here that goes back to Moses, to Mount Sinai, and all these kinds of things. Folks, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. In fact, this is uh, just one of the things I had put up there in Bible class to show you Jesus and Moses and this mountain moment and that great mountain moment in chapter 24 of Exodus and 34 and where there's this revealing, it's this covenant that, is, that has been made and everything else. But look, we, we talk here this morning and we say, okay, you're talking about this transfiguration. It says here in Mark that Jesus was transfigured. And we go, those are real churchy words, right? It's like, how in the world am I ever going to understand it? And I can tell you when I first tried to write it up on the board, I misspelled it. I can't even spell it. Uh, because transfigured, is, but listen, don't be scared of the word. Because transfigured is a word that means to take on a different physical form or appearance. And, get this, this word in the, in the Greek 
is where we get a word we use often, especially you students. It's the word metamorphosis. You ever heard of that word? Ah, biology. And you remember biology and, and the things that you learned and, and how there is this metamorphosis. There is something in its immature state and, and it, it is finally brought forth to its mature, beautiful state. I mean, no one keeps pictures of, you know, caterpillars on their wall. We want butterflies on our walls. Because there's something to, well, listen, that's what the transfiguration is showing of Jesus. Jesus is taking the immature physical body that he has taken on, that is weak, that is um, limited, it's of low status, and he transfigures into the mature state of the glorious body, the one that has power, and it has beauty, and it's eternal, and it's radiance. Jesus is trying to show them the mission, his mission, through this transfiguration. You've heard the suffering, but let me get something that you'll never forget so that when you finally understand what's happening, you will never forget what's happening on this mount. So here's Jesus. And, and his clothes have become this unearthly white. And he's standing there. And then watch what happens in verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. Now, let me stop here for just a second. If you don't know who they are, they haven't been on the earth for a few hundred, couple of thousand years, okay? <laughs> These two guys. But here they are. They appeared, Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Wow. As if the transfiguration isn't enough. Here is these guys. These are the two greatest among the Jews. These are the heroes. And it's like, well, what is that all about? And I used to think, and I used to teach, and firmly believe until I follow these links, this is not about them representing the law and the prophets. If you want to understand what this means, is we need to go back to the last time these two guys are mentioned together. And we go to Malachi. Now let me tell you how to get to Malachi. Go to the last book in the Old Testament. Or, if you say, well, I don't know how to get there, go to Matthew chapter 1 and turn back a page. All right? Folks, Matt, and this is Malachi chapter 4 that we're going to. Now, let, me, let me set this thing up for you. because This is the last words of the Bible, of, or the, of the Old Testament. Okay? So this is 100 years. When this, this letter is written, this is 100 years after Babylonian captivity and exile. If you don't know what that's about, basically the Jewish people, they are conquered by Babylon, this great uh, power, world power, and the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple of God is destroyed. The ark is, is carried off. Never, they never see it again. And, and, but after a hundred years, and by the way, they are exiled, many of them, to these other countries. They're not even in the homeland anymore. But time has passed some 70-something years, the remnant of God, a remnant of God comes back to the land. They have now rebuilt the temple. 
And they expected, based on prophecies and the prophets, they expected that when this happens, that God is going to restore Israel to be this great dominating kingdom that it had been under King David and King Saul. But it wasn't like that. It was supposed to, for them to be a time of peace, a time of justice, and it wasn't that. And they're wondering what in the world is going on. In fact, many of their people are not even living for God just as their ancestors had done before them. And so God speaks here in this last chapter. And this is the way he ends, beginning in verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses. Moses. Ah. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horab, which is Mount Sinai, for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, ah, the second guy, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Folks, he's pointing to the future. They're wondering about this, and he says, listen, something is going to come. And so, finally, the one, the new Moses, the greater Moses and Elijah, they have shown up. And so God's people, uh, it's, it's time to heal their hearts. And so the transfiguration is to show that Jesus is the one they promised. The one that they were looking for at the time, but was not there. He's saying, this is when you'll know. And Peter, James, and John, they see Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Let's see how they respond to this, though. This is, this is classic. So verse 5, we'll go back to, to, Matt, uh, to Luke, I mean Mark. Yeah, just keep marching through the Gospels. Uh, Mark chapter uh, 5 here. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. And they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, Sinai language, and a voice came out of the cloud, Sinai language. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him but Jesus alone. I don't know about you. I love the way Mark uh, paints Peter here. You know, Peter all of a sudden says something, but Mark says, but he didn't know what to say. But we know typical Peter, he's going to say something. And I love the fact that the father doesn't let him just continue blabbering along. And he interrupts him and he says, this, listen, Peter, James, John, this is my beloved son. This is the one. This is the new, the greater Moses, the Elijah to restore God's people. He's the one that is being sent and, and came before to soften their hearts. The voice tells the disciples to listen to him. 
And the question of the text is, listen to what? It had to be major. A voice comes from God, from the cloud. And Mark doesn't tell us anything Jesus says here. Because it's connected to what he just said last week. Listen to what? That I must suffer and die. And that if you will be a follower of mine, if you are a disciple, then you too will be willing to die. And to have that kind of commitment to Jesus. Keep going. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. And until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, what do the scribes say that or why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Folks, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. I mean, Jesus is as plain as he can be, right? I've got to die. I've got to suffer. I've got to be rejected. But at the same time, he's telling them that I must also be glorified. That there's going to be this resurrection. And it's like, listen, if you understand what's going on at the time, they believed in resurrection. So it's not that they're like, well, what is this thing called resurrection? They got it. In order for someone to be resurrected, they first have to die. That's the part that they're struggling with. And until Jesus dies and is resurrected, they're not going to get this. Not completely. And I'll tell you, there's something here for us, and, and I'm so thankful for it, which is to be a disciple of Jesus, it doesn't mean I have to have perfect knowledge of the Bible. I may not have perfect doctrinal understanding. I may not have perfect goodness or perfect abilities. And if you're like me, you, you know you haven't arrived and, 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 and some, you know, and these scribes are like this. No, we know everything. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You miss some things. I'm trying to tell you what those are. The worst thing that can happen is not for someone who doesn't get everything. The worst thing that can happen is someone who says, I got everything. Because you stop learning. That's why we trust him. To be a disciple of Jesus, these guys don't get it. And this is huge, his death and resurrection. They don't get it. But they follow Jesus. 
And it doesn't mean we shouldn't push for that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't want this. Jesus is pushing it on them. Listen, you got to get this. I'm trying to show you something here that is absolutely should change your world. But he's saying, just trust me in what you don't know. Just trust me and follow me. Folks, you read it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's the theme. It's faith. And we think that means, well, I believe in God. No, it means I trust God. It means I trust him with everything. Even those times, it doesn't make sense. Even those times when, for them, Jesus dying on the cross, that's scandalous. That's absolutely scandalous. And even in those times where things even seem scandalous to us, we trust him. Do you see this? But they're still confused about Elijah. Because the, the scribes taught, and we saw Malachi, he's to come first. And if you know the story of Elijah, you know that if you read his story, he didn't die like everybody else. God sent this horses and chariots of fire, and, and he gets in it and, and takes him on up into the heavens. Folks, don't tell me your Old Testaments are boring. It's fascinating. And, and those, those things point over here. They're always pointing to Jesus. You see this? So fascinating. So they must have been really shocked when Jesus said, yeah, well, guess what? He's already arrived and he died. The world killed him. Now they're really in shock. But Jesus isn't talking about Elijah himself. He's talking about John the baptizer. And if you read John chapter 1, I mean Mark chapter 1 and verses 4 through 8, there is a description of John the baptizer and it takes you right back. It is a hyperlink to, to Elijah. All the way down to his clothes and the insects he eats. When we follow Jesus, we find ourselves exposed to the world. John, the one who comes before, the one who is in the power and the spirit of Elijah, and Luke tells us this, that even he suffered at the hands of mankind. Jesus says, so will I. And Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross and follow me too. And we shouldn't be surprised when our world rejects us. We should not be surprised when it fights against us. And we are to look at the transfiguration and it shows that we've not been abandoned by God, that he's still on his throne. He's still in his glory. This past week, and I'm not going to mention who it was, I don't like getting into politics, um, but there was a politician and what he said over the weekend was, if I become president, I will pull the tax-exempt status from churches, from colleges, anyone else who is not in favor of same-sex marriage. Now, he doesn't say those who don't love people who are different and we disagree with. He's saying, you, if you're not in favor of it, we will pull that. And I've seen some people, and they're really upset about this, and they're like, they're going to pull our tax-exempt status, and you know, they're just, listen, Look up to the mountain, folks. It's okay. It's okay. You understand that? 
It's all right. If our world takes everything from us. Because there's a transfiguration. Our own suffering brings us into the very suffering and rejection of Jesus. We become, we become an extension of his ministry. Do you see this? And we fight so hard. And look, it doesn't mean we shouldn't, you know, we don't vote a certain way and all of this. Like I say, I don't like getting into all the politics and everything else. And we shouldn't really get into it either. But listen, there's new life in the power of Jesus' resurrection. Do you realize what Paul says? He says, and we all with unveiled face. By the way, he's going back to Sinai. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Look at that word. It's the exact same word of Jesus being transfigured. Same word. And he says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. It sounds great though, doesn't it? And he says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The same word in Mark. And what the disciples see is the promise of glory, folks. They needed this as they descend and they re-enter the fallen realm of humanity. Next week we're going to see this. They come back to the mountain. They're back down in the valley. And it's chaos. And there is spiritual warfare going on. The suffering of Jesus does not conflict with his glory. It's a part of it. Folks, the Gospels can't be any, any more clear. Look at this. At the Transfiguration, there is a private epiphany. At the cross, there is a public spectacle. At the Transfiguration, Jesus is surrounded by two prophets of old. On the cross, he's with two thieves. Over here, Jesus' garments glisten in his glory. Over here, they're, they're casting lots for Jesus' garments. Three males disciples, they view Jesus' glory at close range there on the Mount of Transfiguration. But on the cross, it's women and they are afar off viewing Jesus. A divine voice from the cloud announces Jesus is God's son. But at the cross, it is a, a Roman soldier who will declare he is the son of God. Jesus' disciples, they ask about Elijah as they're coming down the mountain. You saw that. But at the cross, did you know that there were the spectators mocking Jesus? And they were asking and wondering, is Elijah going to come down and save him? Folks, this is in stereo. You see this? Folks, it's, it's, this is meant for us to see. The transfiguration only gives us a peek into the future. For now, we live in a world where earthly powers can inflict punishment on people of faith. The celebration has not yet begun. We're not up on the mountain yet. We're not living on the mountain, but we're down in the valley that's filled with confusion and chaos and spiritual warfare. And let's face it, we prefer to bask in the glory of God up on the mountain, right? I don't like living in the valley. Because we struggle there. But even in the midst of suffering, God's presence, it breaks through. 
and it shines in our hearts. And this event is meant to encourage us in our times of difficulty. Again, I'm not going to I'm not trying to get political here. I have some very strong political views about this. But some of you know and you've been reading in the news now Turkey has begun to attack the Kurds. And and they are the the People in Turkey, they are militant Islamists, okay? Just because someone is of Islam doesn't mean they want to kill you. But there is a portion of them that is very deadly. And, and already reported over the last couple of days is that uh, there have been three Christians who have been killed. Churches, uh, some churches have been destroyed. Other Christians have been arrested because their main goal is to eradicate Christianity in that area. And they're not the only ones. Villagers have been plundered. Men and women have been taken. Some men have been missing. And what I say to you is this. We pray for them. We pray for them. Their very lives are at stake. They're being asked to take up the cross of suffering in the name of Jesus. And I hate it. What do they have? If someone doesn't come and help them and rescue them, what do they have? They have the transfiguration and the resurrection of Christ. Peter, 2 Peter, let me tell you about this. 2 Peter is written to persecuted Christians. Okay? Peter feels like I'm about to die, and he does. And, and he, he dies in the hands of Nero. And this is kind of like his, his, his farewell letter. And this is, this is a portion of what he writes. Listen to this. He says, For when we did not follow cleverly devised myth, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Well, what was that about? For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him in the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Anything sound familiar there? He says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on that holy mountain. He's writing to persecuted Christians, and he's saying, listen, I'm telling you about what I saw here. He knows that one day God's going to make all things right. He's going to rescue all mankind. And while we wait, we finish our journey of suffering and faithfulness to God. Now some of you are going to be passing the Lord's Supper. You can go ahead and go out now. We're getting ready to transition into that time getting ready to partake of the bread and the cup. Isn't it interesting what Jesus chose as this, this ritual, this memorial meal, it centers around his, his death and his, his very life that he gave. 
that interesting? Why not a meal for resurrection? Because it's all connected. So we're meant to reflect together on the meaning of the suffering and death of Jesus as we await that final transformation. We're on this side of resurrection, folks. And so the bread represents the body of Jesus that was brutally murdered and killed, but gloriously raised. And Jesus emerges with this new body. In fact, the Bible says he is the first of the resurrection. He's the first of the crop. He's showing us, and, and, and I don't understand it all. I know this, that when Jesus is resurrected, he is passing through closed doors, but yet he's, still, he's eating physical fish. He, he has the, the hand, his hands are, have the holes in them from the nails, but it doesn't keep him in the grave. So during this time, let us reflect on the one who died. The one who went through that suffering and death for us. As we still are living in the valley, as we are awaiting our transformation. And may we remember at this time. Let us pray for the bread. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. We are so grateful to him and all that he was willing to do to leave the glory and the splendor of heaven to come down the valley with us into our fallen world where we, the very people who sin, you came and died for us. And Father, you gave up your whole body, your whole self, your whole essence on that cross and you let them kill you. Father, we're so glad that, that he was raised. And we're so thankful, Father, for what this bread means to us. Help our minds and our hearts as we, as your people, we commune together at this moment. And we reflect on your, on your very presence. In Christ's name. After partaking in this sacred moment, this sacred meal, I want us to really think about where our hearts have been and where we are right now in this very moment. And, and maybe there's, there's somebody here and they're just, they want to know this Jesus. They want to know this Jesus. The world rejects our idea of a savior. It's all about me and about what I get out of life. And I can promise you, if you're thinking about this now, as soon as you walk out of this building, you're going to be attacked by your thoughts. Because we like to be the one in charge, but to be a disciple of Jesus, I deny myself. I surrender completely. And you may still wonder, well, but I don't like that word. Well, let me ask you this. How is it working out for you the way it is? Do you feel just this great sense of satisfaction? Or do you feel like you just have to keep coming back to the well, as they say?
because I, you got to get back to that another temporary fix. And they're, they're just, it's just this unending thing. And another question is, you know, our world tells us it's all about us and what we want and what we prefer. How's that working out? Do you feel like our world is a much better place, that we're a much more unified group of people, that we're, we are all about justice and peace and love? Followers of Jesus know that a transfiguration is coming in their own life. 2 Corinthians says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed, there's that word again, into bodies that will never die. These are the mature bodies. Remember? The immature, weak bodies that we have. They'll be one day transformed into bodies that will never die. This Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? And he goes on and he tells us that the sting of death is sin. And Jesus suffered and he resurrected so that the sting of death is no longer. And there's this wonderful working together of this faith, this trust in Jesus. And, and, and when we see baptism is brought into that, this, the, the, the stinger's gone. So wonderful. And we keep coming together as a people and we commune together because we had this like-minded faith. And no matter what happens out there, we come in here. And we join each other, some in homes and, and some in smaller groups, and we continue communing together because we know that this isn't the end. And, and there may be Christians in here this morning, and now you've come out of this Lord's Supper, and your reflections have been, I'm a sinner. I really believe as we take these elements that we're supposed to remember, but we also remember where we lay them. And it may be some, you, you come out of this and it's like, I, I've just, you know what, I'm so heavy hearted right now that the world is it's just beating me up. And that's how you've come out of communion. And then it may be so you're just like, I just have a joy right now. It's so awesome. Listen, all our reflections, it, 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 there's something coming in and going out, and it's a beautiful thing, and we all commune with this together. But there may be some things that have stirred you up, and you're ready to make some kind of decision in your life. You're ready to take that next step. You're ready, whether it's, you know, I'm ready to just take all out and say, I deny myself. I believe in Jesus. He's the one. He's my King. And I'm ready to be baptized. And you say, well, what's that about? We want to tell you about that. But we first want to tell you about Jesus. Because it's, it's only there that you want to go here. And, and maybe there's just some prayers we need to have with you this morning. Whatever it may be. Let's take this moment we just had together. And if we can help in any way as a community of people, let us do so now as together we stand and as we sing.